So as we, we come now to our, our time uh, in, the, in the Word, leading up to today's service, I, I was trying to decide what to, to preach on. Um, and generally at Hope, we've been going verse by verse, section by section through the book of Luke. And so I thought about, well, should I do something else, do a different passage with a, an Easter theme? Uh, but then I was really looking at the very next passage in Luke, and I was just struck by the degree to which it it speaks to the theme of Easter, what Easter is all about, because what it shows us is this upside-down kingdom of God that's not what we would expect, not what the world would expect, but, but what it shows is that those at the very bottom of society can actually have everything, and those who think of themselves at the very top of the world can actually have nothing of true, lasting, and eternal value. So again, if you'll turn in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 6, this was written by Luke, who is a, a physician, and last week we looked at these two stories where he confronts religious leaders, they accuse him of, of breaking the Sabbath, and as we move into this text, Jesus is calling the apostles, he's appointing uh, these key leaders in the early church. And, and then he goes down into what's called a, they call it a plain, uh, a valley, and preaches a, a sermon to the crowd that is gather, gathered there. So again, the book of Luke, chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 12. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and, and the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. 
for so their prophets, their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are limited. Lord, we don't see the whole picture. So as we look at this together, Lord, I pray that you would use my frailty, my weakness, um, and that your spirit would apply this to all of our hearts, Lord, that we could live differently, believe differently, serve you more, love you more. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you may have taken creative writing courses in college, and, and you could have gotten, Jonathan's raising his hand, he's an English major. Uh, uh, some of you could have had a prompt, something like this, create a character sketch about somebody who is truly blessed. And then it you would have to think about, well, what is it to be blessed? What would that character look like in a story? I mean, would they be rich or poor? Would they be full or hungry? Would they be laughing or weeping? Would they be respected in the community or would they be hated by everyone? And I imagine that, that many of us would be tempted to make the, the ultimate blessed character in our story, somebody who is rich or, or successful or influential, or really you'd say, okay, this person is making a big difference in the world. But what Jesus shows us here in this text is, is a very different picture of a blessed individual. In verse 20 to 26 is commonly called the, the Beatitudes, and, and really that's just from the Latin word for blessing. And you say, okay, blessing do we use the word blessing? Yeah, sometimes somebody sneezes and you say, oh, bless you. Or if any of you ever lived in the South or, or are from the South, you know that it's used to sort of soften an insult. You say, okay, that person, he's not very smart, bless his heart, you know, and that use the, <laughs> the, the word like that. But really in the, in the Bible, the word is, is far deeper. That this, the Greek word behind this where Jesus says, blessed are you, it could also be translated favored, fortunate, happy, or privileged. So again, you think, all right, what would a blessed, favored, fortunate, happy, privileged person look like? And you try to imagine that in your head. Well, that's what, what Jesus is showing us, but he defines it in a way that is completely surprising, defies all of our expectations, that what it is is where somebody can be at the very bottom and have everything or be at the very top and have nothing, which is actually what Easter is all about, as we'll see as we go through this. So with that in mind, uh, let's just walk through these Beatitudes, starting in verse 20. So the crowd is gathered there in front of Jesus, and it says that he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So according to, to Jesus, somebody can be poor and yet still be blessed. And then you say, well, why? Well, he gives the reason. It's because theirs is the kingdom of God. And you'll notice that it's actually a, a present reality. He doesn't say that someday in the future, maybe the kingdom will be theirs. But he says, no, Yours is the kingdom of God, that it's this, this present reality that they experience. Now, some people, I think, can misunderstand this, and they think, well, maybe what Jesus is saying is that 
somehow people are automatically blessed from being poor or there's some sort of just inherent virtue in, in poverty. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. What, what he's saying is that you can actually be at the place where you have nothing economically, but it's okay because you actually have everything that really matters. You have the kingdom of God as your inheritance. And you think about it, and I think it's similar to somebody who has, say, a billion dollars in their bank account. And then she loses a $100 bill from her wallet. And yeah, okay, there's no money now in her wallet. That's a bummer. But it's really not a big deal in light of the, the billion dollars that she has in her inheritance. And really, I think that, that when we see spiritual reality for what it is, when the, when the veil is taken off her eyes, that, that that's the way that it is in spiritual reality as well, where if our inheritance is the kingdom of God, we have something of infinite value, something that is eternal, something that can never wear out. And so if you think, all right, put it on the, the economic scale, um, either a few possessions or all of the kingdoms of the world, what has more economic value? Well, it's, it's, it's the kingdom of God. That is, for those who are in Christ, that he secured through his life, death, and resurrection. And so Jesus can say, blessed are you who have the kingdom of God. But then it's interesting that the, the logic actually works in the opposite direction as well. And if you look at verse 24 in your Bible, Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And so again, Jesus isn't saying that somehow people are automatically cursed or there's something wrong with people just because they have money any more than there's some sort of inherent value in not having a lot of money. But Jesus is here again saying that you can get to the place in your life where you have no economic needs, you've arrived, you feel like you have no wants, no desires, but actually, in reality, you have nothing of eternal, lasting value. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, Jesus actually illustrates it really beautifully in, in a parable in Luke 16. And so if you actually were to take your Bible and just flip a few chapters forward in Luke, and look at Luke 16, verse 19. And listen to this and, and compare it to what Jesus is saying in the, the Beatitudes. And, and I'll read the whole thing because it just work, works so well for what we're seeing. So Jesus says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. 
But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So you can see what what Jesus is is saying in this, this story. He's saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That, that in that town, in, the, in this parable, the people walking past Lazarus in the gate would say, okay, this person is, is definitely not blessed. This person is not the one that we want to emulate. He's the one who has nothing. But then as the story unfolds, he's the one who actually has something true of, of lasting value that will stand the test of of eternity. But then the people looking at the, the rich man said the opposite, that, okay, this person, he's the blessed one, he has it all together, but again, he didn't have anything, that his life was like a house just full of termites, where it could look really good on the outside, but it was rotten on the inside, and eventually, when it fell apart, he had nothing. And it's, it's like somebody who is hopelessly in debt and has an enormous mansion, but the bank is coming to collect. Or it's like somebody who builds a house on sand, and then the water comes and just washes it away. Or it's like somebody who is is suffering from cancer or some other fatal disease, but then puts on makeup and nice clothes and looks good on the outside, but inwardly is dying. And that's the, the picture here that we have from Jesus. And that's why he says... Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that's the the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor. But now let's look at the, the second and the third beatitudes together in verse 21 of Luke 6. Jesus says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And so according to to Jesus, then, somebody can be hungry, which, of course, is almost a subcategory of the first of somebody who's poor, But as painful as it is to be hungry, he's saying that that person has this certain promise of satisfaction. And and it's a satisfaction that's rooted in an eternity and resurrection of sharing with Christ in the marriage supper of the Lamb forever. And so probably most of us here in, in this room in America don't know too well what it is to seriously be hungry and not have food. Um, and, and it's almost hard for us to, to talk about it. But as, as shocking as it is, what Jesus is, is saying here is it's almost more like the, the hunger feeling that we have before a Thanksgiving meal, where you're, 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 you're incredibly hungry, but you know it's going to be okay because the, the feast is, is laid out on the table. And that even if somebody is, is suffering with hunger and in, in poverty in this life, that that all of our suffering in, in life uh, here is so short compared to the span of eternity and the, and the true life and satisfaction that is promised 
from God that, that he's saying, blessed are those who are hungry, for they shall be satisfied. And it's the same thing with weeping and, and sorrow. And that may be where, where some of you are today. I mean, maybe you're, you're weeping because of sin, the way that you fail to love God, or the way you fail to love others, or you're weeping because you've experienced abuse, or you're weeping because uh, you have loved ones who are engaged in some sort of destructive behavior and your heart's just going out to them, um, or you're, you're weeping because you're, you're in pain in some way in your body and you think, okay, this is only going to get worse, or you're just weeping at just the general brokenness of the world that we see any time we, we turn on the news. But if that's where we are, then, then what, what Jesus is saying here is that, that there, there's hope, there's, there's life, there's a, a promise. And it's really what we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where it describes the new heavens and the new earth. And it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so Jesus isn't saying your suffering doesn't matter, or your suffering isn't real, or it doesn't matter to God. But what he's saying is that our suffering, our pain, our weeping doesn't get the last word. That he's saying that, that in Christ we have this promise that is, is sealed with the very blood of Jesus himself that, that says that, that even if we're going through the pain of childbirth, as it were, that there's actually something really beautiful on the other side. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, this light momentary affliction. And that's talking about somebody who is in prison at that point and was about to be beheaded. He said, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But then, just like with the other beatitude, Jesus shows the opposite side of the coin in verse 25. If you look there in your Bible. He says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn. And Jesus isn't saying that there's not a time and a place to laugh or, or that it's wrong to have, have food, that we can rejoice in, in the blessings of God in, in, in many, many ways. But he, I think what, he, what he's getting at here is just the feeling that you know where you go and you, and you hang out with friends, you have a celebration, and then you go home alone and you feel kind of empty going home from the, the laughter and the celebration. Or it's the, the feeling when you're, you're, you have plenty of food in the refrigerator, you have money in the bank, but you're laying in bed and you're thinking, well, what would happen if I, I lost everything? And even for those who are the most successful, it's, it's crazy just how close we are to sorrow at any given moment. I mean, it only takes one natural disaster, one candle in your house left unattended, one distracted moment driving, one nuclear bomb, one uh, car crash. I mean, there, there's so many ways that, that life can suddenly be just completely and utterly upended. And, and all of our illusion of, of security and control just, just goes away in that moment. 
And so what Jesus is saying then is that there, there's a new way to live where we're not enslaved to this pattern. Because, I mean, maybe you're coming in here today and you say, okay, I'm already at rock bottom. I don't have any lower to go. And if that's you, then there's this promise and this hope in Christ that you will laugh, you will be satisfied, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But even if you're at the place of saying, yeah, my life is really good, things are, are going well, you can give thanks for that, you can rejoice in that, but then actually you're, you're freed from the pressure of trying to somehow hold up this house of cards that we all know is so fragile. And we can hold the, the gifts of God lightly, knowing that this, this life is not our final home. This is not where we find eternity. This is not where every tear has been wiped away, but we have something far more beautiful and far more perfect. And so none of us have to, to settle for less than eternity in Christ. And so again, Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are you who are hungry, and blessed are you who weep. But now let's look at the, the fourth and the final beatitude in, in verse 22. It says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did the prophets. So Jesus isn't saying, go out and be really belligerent and make people hate you, and then you'll experience blessing. <laughs> uh, that, that it, it's not, this is not a means to blessing. But, but what Jesus is saying, though, is no, you can actually be hated, you can be expelled, you can be reviled, uh, you can have no one wanting to hang out with you, and actually, it's okay. Because what you have in Christ is of far more value, and he says that your reward is great in heaven. Now, I think just for, for me per personally, this is the hardest of the Beatitudes, Maybe it's, it's because I, I've probably never really experienced hunger like so many do around the world. But you know, they say that, that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Uh, but I think often I would rather not have money and have people really like me <laughs> and respect me. Um, but I think as humans, we live in the, the fear of man. We want people to like us. We want people to, to speak and think well of us. We're social creatures. It's, it's built into our, na our natures itself. But then Jesus says this, this very almost crazy thing that, that if people are hating you, it's not just that you accept it, but he says, rejoice. Leap for joy in that day. And this is what we see actually in the life of the early church as the New Testament unfolds. In the book of Acts, which is the, the history of the early church after the resurrection, the apostles are hauled before this court, the very court actually that condemned and crucified Jesus. And the court says, no more teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus or we will hurt you, essentially is what they're saying. And so the, the apostles leave that group and, and this is what it says. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then you say, what? Counted worthy? Rejoicing? 
Or in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So it's not just saying, okay, it's something that you, you might have, but he's saying, no, this is a gift. It's been granted to you that you should believe and also suffer. Now, at the, the very beginning of this the sermon, you heard me read the, the passage where, the part of the passage at least, where, where Jesus goes out to the mountain to pray. He prays all night seeking the Lord's will, which just as a side note is a really great picture of what it looks like to, to seek the Lord's face and an important decision, a great model for us that if the Son of God needed to pray, how much more do we? But then in the, in the morning, Jesus goes down to his disciples, and, and from among them, he chooses 12 men, and he appoints them as apostles. And this means that they would be his authoritative witnesses of the resurrection, and apostle means messenger or, or sent one. But if you look at the list of their names in verse 14, it starts with Peter, but then at the very end, it, it ends with Judas Iscariot. And I, probably most of you know he's the one who became a traitor, and there's this very ominous note there that it even kind of jumps to the end of the story, one who became a traitor, probably for the other Judas, because that would have been really terrible to be Judas, the, the apostle, not Iscariot. Um, but you look at that man, Judas, and you think about his life, and he really was the polar opposite of the Beatitudes, because he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that he was seeking wealth, he was seeking happiness and fullness in his life. Now, he wanted to avoid persecution, he wanted the establishment, the Roman and Jewish political leaders to, to like him, and in the end, it, it proved that a place with no hope, that he ended up committing suicide. But then you look at the other apostles in the list, and they were the complete opposite, where they, they lived out the Beatitudes themselves, that they were, were people who, who traveled just throughout the world after the resurrection. I mean, some went through, through the Roman Empire, some went east all the way to India, some went south to Ethiopia, some went to Europe, uh, they, they preached the gospel. And as they went, they were willing to be poor, they were willing to be hungry, they, they wept, but worst of all, they faced persecution, intense persecution. And there's this, this interesting book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an old book, um, kind of a classic for Christianity, and it traces just the history of martyrdom and persecution throughout history. And the very first chapter goes through just the tradition of what happened to all of the men who are in this list here in Luke 6. And it's really interesting. So if you look at verse 14 and just go name by name, this is the, the tradition of what happened to these men. So it says, Simon, who is Peter, and we, we know that he was crucified under Nero in Rome, actually asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same position as Christ. Andrew, his brother, preached the gospel uh, in many nations throughout that region. Uh, he was also crucified, but on an X-shaped cross that uh, is called St. Andrew's Cross today. Um, James, the son of Zebedee, was the first apostle to be martyred. And we read that in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 2. 
His brother John was reportedly boiled in oil in Rome and then was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison, and then crucified in Phrygia. Bartholomew preached the gospel in India, but then was, was beaten and crucified. Matthew, who, who wrote the book of Matthew, uh, was formerly Levi the tax collector, ended up traveling as a missionary to Ethiopia, where he was beheaded for his faith. Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, uh, traveled all the way to India through the Parthian Empire. Um, and there are actually still churches in India today that trace their heritage all the way back to Thomas um, directly. Uh, but he was run through with a spear for his witness. Um, and then I couldn't find as much about James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. But I'm also confident that they faced persecution, if not death, for their faith. So you think, okay, well, this is a positive, encouraging uh, Easter message. Uh, but why, why were they willing to endure so much persecution, to face so much? Well, they believed that the Beatitudes are actually true, that they actually reflect reality. Then, then you might say, well, what if it's just wishful thinking? I mean, people like Freud and Marx and... Nietzsche, uh, these atheist philosophers, they always said that really Christianity is just the opiate of the masses. They, they said that, that we can't handle the psychological pressure of facing poverty and hunger and sorrow and persecution, knowing that we come from nothing and go to nothing and this life is all there is. And so they say that we just invent the idea of eternity to, as a coping mechanism to face reality. But this is where I think that we start to see the connection between just all of the things that we've been talking about and the first Easter 2,000 years ago. Because if Jesus suffered and then died, and that's it, and he remained in the tomb and it's the end of the story, then really, at worst, the Beatitudes are a lie. And then at best, maybe they're sort of wishful thinking and they might help us cope with reality or they're beautiful in a poetic, tragic way. But if Jesus suffered, died, and then rose again and the tomb was really empty, then there is this decisive proof that the Beatitudes are true, that they actually reflect reality as it is. Because Jesus said... Blessed are you who are poor, and, and he was poor throughout his life, but that poverty was seen at the very end where his very last possession, his garment, was, was stripped off of him, and people cast lots for it as he died in agony. And then Jesus said, Blessed are you who are hungry now. And Jesus at various points, whether when he was tempted or other places, as he was traveling, preaching the word, he was hungry but then at the very end, that all he could do is say, I, I thirst. And Jesus said, blessed are you who weep now. And then he wept at the funeral of Lazarus. He wept for unbelief, the brokenness of the world. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he had any tears left at the end, but if he did, being scourged and beaten and having the crown of thorns thrust on his head and being nailed to a cross, he would have wept. But that wasn't even the worst part because actually he was taking the sins of his people on himself. He was 
bearing the weight of God's judgment against sin, which is why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you. And he was hated and excluded and spurned as evil while crying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then as he, he breathed his last, he was buried in the tomb. And in that moment, the disciples probably thought, yep, we knew it. It's too good to be true. The, the Beatitudes are a lie. We can't trust this. But then they saw the first Easter morning. They saw Jesus alive in glory. And they saw that his poverty had given way to to kingship, where he sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning, that his hunger gave way to, to satisfaction in the presence of his father, that his sorrow gave way to, to life as he prepares the marriage supper of the Lamb, and his persecution gave way to, to victory as he prepares to come again to judge the living and the dead. And so you say, what's the picture of a blessed person? You think of your, your character sketch that you would, would draw Well, Jesus is then the ultimate picture of the blessed person, both in his humiliation and his death and in in the glory of his exaltation and in his life. And that's why it was the the decisive changing point for the apostles where they said, no, this is actually true. And and so where before they were these uh, very kind of wimpy people, fearful, hiding out from the authorities, and then suddenly they went out in boldness and faced death and poverty for the sake of what they had seen and what they had believed because they had saw Jesus dead and then they saw him alive. And so they could face anything with absolute certainty of sharing in his resurrection life. And so for us here then as we think, how do we have that kind of confidence? How do we we face this? How do we share in, in the blessings of Christ? Well, no matter where you see yourself in the Beatitudes, whether you're rich or poor or or hungry or full or laughing or weeping or loved or hated, really what we see here is is a picture of how we can share in this blessing by the grace of God. Because we are people who in and of ourselves haven't earned the blessing of God, but actually we've failed we failed to love God, we've failed to love others, but that God is, is full of, of love and mercy that is more than we could ever comprehend. And so though God sharing eternal blessedness uh, forever in the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity entered the world, took on himself a true human nature. And as, as, as fully human, he experienced hunger and weakness and pain and persecution so he can identify with us at our darkest moment because he himself was there but then also because he's he's fully God he could bear the weight of God's judgment um, and and take it on himself on the cross bury it in the tomb and so then our response is to say we can't do it we can't somehow seize the blessing for ourselves but actually we receive it as a gift through faith we trust in Jesus and as we do that his righteousness is counted to us our sin is counted to him we receive new identity new life and then what we see here is is a picture of 
the future that we will enjoy, where we tangibly get to, to eat the bread and, and drink the juice here, now, in the moment. But when we're, when we're tasting this in our senses, we're being reminded that, that no, this is not where we're finding ultimate satisfaction. We don't believe that Christ is bodily present here, but he is spiritually present to strengthen us as we look forward to the, the final marriage supper of the Lamb where he will be with us forever and ever.